everybody, and welcome back to another edition of the Tennis One Podcast. Madison Golden alongside Patrick Kuehl. We've been on a bit of a hiatus, but that's because Tennis One has been super busy on three different tournament sites. So we have a fun episode for you today, a special guest with us. So I will pass it over to you, Patrick, to get us going. Yeah, thanks, Madison. It's been a uh, super busy time for Tennis One. Like you said, we were at the Dallas Open a few weeks ago. I was there. You were at the Delray Beach Open last week. And John Tiroff, our colleague, he was at the Rotterdam ATP 500. So, yeah, super exciting stuff for Tennis One. We wanted to just kind of talk through those tournaments and, you know, maybe give the the listeners a, a bit of background for what we do when we actually go. Um, because we don't partner with every tournament, but when we do, we actually send somebody from tennis one to go to the event, to create as much social media content as possible. You know, we're pumping out Instagram reels and tweets and all that kind of stuff. And then we actually do interviews with the players. So we do post-match interviews with a lot of the winners over the week. And it's really fun. I think for all of us, because this is really our first, uh, first time interviewing like professional athletes of this caliber you know a lot of the people we get to talk to are like in the top 50 in the world top 10 and so yeah that's pretty sweet that's what you get to do when you work for a startup uh because you don't always get to jump right into that if you work for a bigger company so it's been a lot of fun and we're we're getting more and more tournaments all the time so this was the first time i think we had three at, at one you know one time I think basically so. yeah <laughs> yeah and and actually the nature of, of tennis one a lot of times we find out the week of the tournament that we're going to be covering it. So that's what happened in this case uh, with, with Rotterdam and John, you are, uh, you live in Germany. So it was, it was great for us to have you over there and be able to get to the tournament. What was uh, the turnaround like? Cause I know we kind of let you know last second, Hey, we need somebody at Rotterdam. <laughs> yeah. So um, no, for, for me, it was no problem since, you know, in Europe, every place is so close to each other and the, pub, the public transport system is really great. So from here, from Frankfurt to get to Rotterdam, it takes about four or five hours. But, you know, you can even work inside the train and stuff. So even though it was it was last minute, I was uh, I was I was definitely prepared. Was there uh, anything that you were nervous about? This was the first time that you were covering a tournament for us, uh, even though you've been with us for a while. So, yeah, I didn't I mean, I mean, geez, if you just look at the <laughs> the draw for Rotterdam, Crazy. it was like, yeah, I mean, it was like Medvedev and Felix and Sinner and Holger Runa and all these people. So, yeah. What, what were you kind of feeling going into it? No, 100 percent. I was for sure thinking I had a lot of thoughts in my mind. I was like, hmm. You know how am I going to handle everything at once? But at the same time, I had watched you guys doing it before, so I was kind of looking back into the the, the past socials and the past tweets to kind of get an idea for it. And um, I was I was for sure overwhelmed by how amazing the, the draw was. All those top players. The the thing that I was probably most nervous about is that that while I would be holding the phone and interviewing them that well what if i forget a question now um cuz i didn't have you know n- notes with me um but i i thought i can i, I can just you know c- keep it in my mind but at the end of the day i do believe that um as soon as i started talking i realized these people are are people just like us and i will give them you know the same level of respect that i give anyone on the street um so 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 that made it that made it easier and more comfortable once things got rolling yeah, definitely. I think uh, I think we both know what it's like to go to a tournament with uh, with somebody like a partner. We've done that before for Tennis One. And it's nice when somebody can, you know, manage the camera 
And then we can just focus on the questions and, you know, you could have notes or whatever with you, but at this point we all just kind of go by ourselves. So you, you kind of have to just remember the questions and and get through it. And um, yeah, it's, I don't know, it's, it's a cool experience, but you, you actually told us you've been to a few tournaments before in the past, just growing up. What's, what's kind of your background with going to tennis tournaments? Yeah, so so one of our traditions was um, going to Roland Garros, the French Open, every year. Since again, Paris and Frankfurt, it's 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 only one four-hour train ride away, and it's to be honest, it's actually fun being on the train here because it's these super fast ones that go. I think in miles, it's like two hundred fifty miles an hour, and and you get to kind of see the landscape and the the countryside too, and then boom, you're in the middle of France. You get to see you know the atmosphere in and around the, the the French Open. So that was like the the only Grand Slam I've been to. But um, I've been to a couple of, of smaller tournaments here in Germany, like the, the Mercedes Cup in, in, in Stuttgart. I th- now I think it has a different name now, though. Um, or in the, the tournament in Halle in east of Germany. So so kind of some, some here and there. But from the draw, this tournament here, the Rotterdam ATP 500 was by far... The most stacked <laughs> I've been to. Yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah, it was stacked for totally sure. Totally stacked. Madison, you were, your draw was a little different in Delray. I mean, it was still top players, but, I, you know, obviously when an ATP 500 is going on versus a 250, a lot of times the, like, the very top players will go over there. But this tournament being in the United States, a lot of U.S. players, and obviously there's a lot of good U.S. players these days. So it kind of, uh, it, it works out for us. Fritz won. Uh, just kind of before we talk about him, I have to ask you about this guy, Pecho Teach, because that I mean, the guy literally is doing a day job and he beats Jack Sock. Like he said that he worked during the day and then went to his match. And so just just tell us about like what was it like talking with this guy? And uh, yeah. Yeah. So first of all, a little background context for everybody. And he told us this story in person. So um So basically what happened, he played college tennis at Princeton. So first of all, he's super smart. (laughs) Then um, he kind of, you know, started his pro tennis career, got up into the top 200, I believe he said. And then he got a minor knee injury that required a minor surgery, but ended up getting a severe staph infection. So it actually took him out for way longer than expected. So he was kind of battling that. And then the pandemic hit. So he decided, you know, I'm going to go get my MBA at Harvard because why not? If you're going to do your MBA, you might as well do (laughs) it at Harvard. And if, I mean, clearly we know he's intelligent. He went to Princeton, you know, really smart guy. So he got, you know, his MBA at Harvard. He decided since tennis wasn't really happening for seven months during the beginning of the pandemic, he's like, I'm just going to get a job with some security, make sure that I, you know, can support my family and everything. And he ended up working in West Palm beach doing hedge funds and commercial real estate. So this guy is super intelligent, really good at what he does. Um, back to coming back to tennis, he ended up getting into the qualifying draw and they like basically called him up (laughs) He made it through both rounds of qualifying. And then his first round opponent was American Jack Sock. I mean, like kind of very storybook taking on an American the first round. And he was like, he came out so, so strong in that match. 
and just seeing how how excited he was to be in the main draw and just seeing what he was able to do. And he's a really good player. Like he has the potential to, I mean, he was ranked 700 just because he had been, you know, out for a couple of, of years, yeah, but yeah. Literally working at a desk. Literally. <laughs> yeah. Like Patrick mentioned, he, he went to work that day and he went to work before his second round match. Like tough, tough PTO over there. What's the Oh deal? my gosh. And it was cool because his, his boss was actually in his box, in his ah. player box. So that was very cool. Um, yeah. So just hearing him tell this story and just, you know, obviously he's really passionate about his job and he's good at what he does, but like his passion for tennis, he's like, I, if, if I can make it work, tennis would be what I would choose. So yeah. Mattia, yeah. Mattia Petzoteach. Remember that name, everybody, because you never know. You might yeah, I mean, see him. <laughs> did he say that he's going to keep playing pro tournaments or what's, what's the deal? So, I mean, he said, I'll, I'll play when I can and what makes sense. Um, I think his job is pretty demanding and he, I, he's expecting a baby. So that's ah. another thing. I saw his wife sitting in his box and it was, it was just very cool to see. And he, he is the nicest, most down to earth guy. So getting to talk to him and I made sure that I asked him to kind of, you know, walk us through these last couple of years. And he just told that story. And I just, I mean, like how incredible and, and Marcos Giron, I mean, he, he was the one who ended up beating him in the second round, but he just had, he said, I have so much respect. And he's like, I have one job. He has two jobs. So yeah. um, he's like mad respect to him. And everyone just spoke so highly of him throughout the tournament. So very, very cool story. Yeah, I, this is one of the great things about like the 250 level for HPWTA tournaments is you always get like crazy stories. Of, this is the first time this has ever happened, you know, or like this is the first main draw appearance for this player. You know, that happened with Ben Shelton last year in Atlanta. It was his first main draw match ever in an ATP tour tournament and he won it and then he almost beat Isner. And so that was amazing. <laughs> and, you know, I was in Dallas and similar things. There were, there were multiple players that like qualified for their first main draw. And uh, I don't know, it's always really cool to see that. But um, so, yeah, if, if you're, you know, a diehard tennis fan, sometimes it's almost more fun to, to go check out some of those tournaments because number one, you get a way better seat. And yes. uh, yeah, I mean, the players are just walking around. It's way more casual. But uh, yeah, you can get you can get up and close, get autographs a lot easier. I mean, yeah, like you said, it's more casual. The players seem to like it because they can just kind of, you know, hang around and be themselves. Yeah. Totally. A little less, a little less serious, but still, still a lot at stake to win those events. I mean, it's a big deal. So. Yeah. And speaking of winning those events, uh, Taylor Fritz won, which while he's won bigger tournaments than this, I mean, you can see by his reaction, how much it meant to him. He's, he's lost early in this tournament in the past. Right. And he actually was in Dallas the week before where I was and got upset by uh, a player he was not expecting to lose to, but one that certainly deserved to win. Um, <laughs> But yeah, we'll, we'll talk about him a little later, but yeah. So just tell us about kind of Fritz's run during the tournament and, and what he said about what, it, what the title meant to him. Yeah. So Taylor Fritz now in world number five, I mean, since for the first time in American tennis, since Roddick, that's a huge deal. Yeah. And like you said, it's a, he's one bigger, he won Indian Wells last year. We've known he's, he's won bigger titles, but like you said, you could tell just on social media and on TV, how big this moment was for him and how much he wanted that win. And, you know, watching him this week, he, his tennis IQ is absolutely insane. I mean, he is just 
unbelievable watching him like he he is a top five player I mean there's no doubt he is so he's so good and he I mean just the way that he remains calm he doesn't like he has the mental side it seems like right now I know that there's been some rough patches you know for him but right now he seems to have he he got that back and that's I mean that's so much of tennis right there and he's just just his abilities everything that he does his serve obviously we know is extremely powerful and just the way that he's able to adjust certain things that he's doing and his tie breaks he's now 11 and 1 in breakers in 2023 mm, that's pretty good <laughs> yeah so he just uh he talked about just winning in the u.s means a lot to him and obviously being close to his fans he has a place in miami so he was actually just able to stay there and drive the whole week he played at night which he said was kind of reminiscent in some of these bigger tournaments where you get to play later in the evening and he actually liked that um so it was just really really fun to see him succeed and i mean he did the the match uh against mackie you know mackie started to come back in the second set fritz was down he was also down in the tiebreaker and then ended up closing it out in that tiebreaker in the second set so he's just an incredible player to watch fans really great with the fans really really great to talk to um, he always gives us a lot of respect and he re- is really engaging. Would you agree with that, Patrick? Just what you've seen? Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, he was in Dallas and, and won a few rounds. So we talked to him or I talked to him a couple of times and yeah, he's definitely like, I think especially even the the break point stuff is, is making him more comfortable with the interview process and everything, because yeah. you can, you can kind of see, you know, when you interview him a lot of times, he, especially in the past, you know, he crosses his arms kind of like can't look you in the eye, you know, and, and that, that kind of was my experience with him in the past, but I, I noticed that this um, past couple of weeks at Dallas, he was, he was much better at it and um, yeah, being more open. And I think he's kind of like embracing that. Um, I need to show my personality more to, you know, try to get more people interested in the sport, which is why he agreed to do the Netflix thing in the first place. And right. Yeah. So, and he definitely had some scar tissue, I think going into um Del Rey after you know kind of getting upset when he was he won the first set against uh Bing in Dallas in the semis in the semis where he was also the number one seed so I think he was kind of like okay I need to really just no matter who I'm playing I need to be on it and uh yeah like you said he's good in tie breaks he has a great serve so that that definitely helps in tie breakers if you can uh avoid mini breaks so yeah um but yeah, and, and John, you were in Rotterdam. And like we said, it was just like a totally stacked draw, which Medvedev ended up winning. And I mean, if you just look at Medvedev's run, clearly motivated by his early exit from Australia, where, you know, he made the final last year and then he lost in like the third round this year. So I think he was he was ready to make a run here. And, you know, he beat like Bodic Van Zandeschulp and Felix and Dimitrov and Sinner. So just like, what was his kind of run like? And then there was like a kind of a interesting celebration thing going on over there. So what can you just tell us about that? Yeah. Oh, Medvedev, he's a, he's a very interesting character. You know, when you, when you're even around him, it almost seems like it almost seems like this is going through his head. Uh, I know how this game works, but I'm, I'm one, I'm one step ahead of all you guys. I know how to, you know, work around things that you can tell he's very intelligent and he always is one step ahead he mm-hmm. actually did not feel well at all in the beginning of the tournament. This is what he said later on. You could always also see him in the interviews, always sneezing. And I think he had a little bit of a cold going. And um, 
I had I had asked him earlier in the tournament because in the in the first match where he lost the 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 first set I believe six four it was he kept um you know putting the thumbs up over to his corner to the coach <laughs> but in a very sarcastic way and then kept oh, yeah. making this this <laughs> he's very good at that his, <laughs> yeah and making these signs with his with his hands as if he wanted to you know it, it's the sign that you usually do when you want to switch out a player you know you're kind of going like in a circular ah. motion with with both of your hands and and i was thinking what does he mean with that and i asked him after the match but he said uh it's it's better if i i can only say it if i do well in the tournament you know <laughs> and and then uh he got better and better more consistent i mean the way that he beat Oger Aliasim, i was shocked because I seen Felix, you know, practice the 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 day before the tournament started with with Hurkac, with Zverev, and he really looked like he was ready to defend the title. So seeing how Medvedev just did not give him any room to breathe, you you could tell that he just really adapted his style of play and just didn't give Alessim any space. So when he beat Alessim, I was like, okay, you know, this this might be his week. And um, but then Sinner, Sinner, obviously him, him coming off of uh, the win in Montpellier, winning that title. Um, he was obviously in the zone as well. And uh, you could tell how focused he was too, playing against the, the Dutch player, uh, Greek sport in the, in the semifinals. It didn't throw him off one single bit that the whole crowd was cheering for Greek sport. So uh, I was very, I was not sure who's going to take the finals, but. Medvedev's consistency, consistency just uh, just really prevailed, and he uh, when when I finally asked him the, the the question again, I said, "Hey, you you promised us that you tell us, please, uh, you know, if you could tell it now." Um, he he said that yeah, he was really not feeling well in the beginning of the tournament. He was feeling terrible, actually. That's what he said, and his coach apparently just told him, "Hey, just just continue on doing the same thing." And Medvedev kept telling him, but no, I have to change something. You know, my, my tennis is obviously not working. And the coach just kept staying relaxed. No, just continue doing the same thing. That's why he always put up the thumbs up, the thumbs up in a very sarcastic yeah. way after he <laughs> lost the first set. He was like, oh yeah, I should keep doing the same thing. Huh? Yeah. But you know, he turned out he turned out right. And and here is his his first title after you know he played three ATP tournaments this year so far and already the first title of 2023 so it looks like you know he's he's up to a great start yeah definitely i think uh for any tennis players out there you you whether it's like your parent when you're growing up or your coach or whatever if they tell you to do something in the match and you, and you try it and it doesn't work the first time even if it will work more often than not throughout the match but the first time if it doesn't work you're immediately looking at them like yo what the hell like oh yeah so like that's what you think i should do oh yeah great thanks for the advice like <laughs> yeah that happens a lot so no it's a yeah great run for him and obviously we know i mean he's he's a top five player so he he actually had like gone out of the top 10 for a minute there you know yeah he was down to number 12 or something so he's back i think number eight now so yeah obviously we can we'll see about clay because i feel like clay he doesn't um you know always have the strongest season so he's definitely a a hardcore guy yeah uh, but yeah, so no, that's uh, that's about anything. Anything else from you guys that just like any uh, fun stories from those two tournaments? I'm trying to think of anything else. I mean, just I just feel like the uh, beach 
beach vibe kind of uh, like played into certain players like I feel like Tommy Paul was just thriving <laughs> in Delray Beach and we had we had the chance to talk to him too so that was fun just catching up with him especially after his time in Australia but I feel like yeah the beach community definitely suited those American players it just was like a relaxed tournament and Mackie McDonald actually said that they all him uh Riley Opelka and Tommy Paul they all watched the Super Bowl together so that was kind oh, of nice. fun because Opelka is obviously injured or he would have been, you know, playing in Delray as well. So, but that, yeah, that was fun to hear. Just, I know that they're close off the court. So it's always yeah. fun in such an individual sport when you have those close friends on tour. Yeah. And, the, and those guys trained down in Florida for like their whole childhood, basically. So they, they probably know it very well. Didn't you um, go to the beach one day? Wasn't there like a, like a media opportunity or something with the players? Yeah, so there was a couple players who took on some local beach tennis pros. <laughs> so we got to go down to Delray Beach and they did a little Delray Beach tennis match, which I had never seen beach tennis played. Um, but it's yeah, it was kind of like a crossover of pickleball, paddleball, tennis mixed in fusion. <laughs> yeah. Is it, it like a volleyball? Watch. Is it like a volleyball height net? Yes, it was okay. tall. So I think that that's, I think they just, yeah, I think it's like very similar to the beach volleyball nets. But yeah, that was a very cool little opportunity. One of the four, 2019 champ, Radu Albert, was one of the players who went down there and he's he's super great and he had a really fun time. And then he swam in the ocean and ah. the tide was, tide was kind of high that day. So the ATP rep was a little concerned that uh, he was yeah. going to get <laughs> taken out to sea. <laughs> Was but it Josh yeah. or who was the? Yeah, ATP yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay. It was oh, yeah. Joshua. Yeah. That's so funny. we were we were a little concerned. Radu was out pretty far, so. Uh, yeah, it's like um, okay, but... uh, come back now. That's fine. <laughs> yeah, we that's, were like, wait, we need, we need you to play. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> who won the beach volleyball match? Um. So they had one tennis pro with one beach, oh, beach okay. tennis player. So Got it was it. divided. I don't really know what the final score was. To be completely honest, I don't know if they kept track, but they they all got a medal. <laughs> yeah don't want to don't want to psych them out before the tournament i guess yeah playing other racket sports is not always easy tennis players think you know oh it'll transition i can be good at ping pong or pickleball or whatever but if you actually play somebody that is good at those sports like i'll never forget my freshman year of high school me and my devil's partner who were like the best tennis players in the area because it was like a really small area and like nobody else played tennis so they had students compete against the teachers in different sports. And in front of the whole school, my freshman year, me and my doubles partner played two teachers in badminton. And Ooh. we thought, oh, this is going to be, you know, we're going to crush these guys, whatever. And we got whooped by these two teachers <laughs> who clearly had, had some badminton experience. And, uh, well, that was traumatizing. But <laughs> so it doesn't it doesn't always translate. You're right. Yeah, you, you think. You might be able to get good at the sport quicker, but yeah, there's different strategies and rules. And uh, so For anyway, sure. yeah. Well, should I talk about it? Oh, sorry. Go ahead, John. Uh, I was, I was going to say what just uh, came to my mind. It was, it was also funny to see um, Zverev in Rotterdam because we actually have uh, one memory together, which is my, my personal little <laughs> tennis success story. If you could even call that a right. success story. Because back in, back in, when was that? I was age 16. Zverev is also born 97 like me. So that was in the year 2013 
2014, there was the German Championships. And if I would win my first match and Zverev would win his first match, we would, we would play against each other. And, and he was there too. And, um, you know, if uh, my, my, my father knew his father, so we kind of, you know, knew of each other a little bit back then. And I did win my first match, but Zverev lost his first match. Oh, so, what a so I, oh my back gosh! Then, but back then, obviously, you know, he wasn't—he uh, wasn't, you know, that good yet. And mm. but I was actually telling him before we did the interview in Rotterdam, I'm like, "Hey, Alex," I first, you know, said it in German. I'm like, "Hey, Alex, you does my face look familiar at all?" And he said, "Of course." He said, "No, you know, who are you?" And then I said, hey, two, 2014, we could have played each other, but, uh, you know, you didn't make it. You couldn't you lost the first round. <laughs> I was waiting for you, but you didn't come. And uh, oh and then gosh. he remembered the tournament immediately. And oh once I gosh. said my name and everything, he he, he remembered too. So that How we got cool. a good laugh. In. That's so hilarious. That was funny. So wait, awesome. did you beat the guy that beat him? Or what happened in the second round? Um, unfortunately, I lost uh, 6-0-6-4 against Oof. the guy that beat Sparev. But okay. the second set, I almost had him. I kept playing drop <laughs> shots and it was almost working. Wow. So wait, what's this What's this guy doing today? The the guy who beat Sparev? Yeah. Oh, I wish I wish I knew. I, I, I should actually look into that. That would be interesting. He's de he definitely research. didn't he definitely didn't turn pro. So I mean, yeah. the, the the loser in that tournament, Sparev, he, he made us all look uh, bad now. <laughs> Oh my gosh, that's so funny! That's, that's amazing great. story. That's a great story. Could have been a claim to fame, John. I mean, if you would have made it. I mean, to right. say that you played <laughs> wouldn't be sitting here talking to us. I guess that's true. would be interviewing me in Rotterdam. There you go. <laughs> that's right. There you go. Alternate. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> so well, Patrick, yeah. you were you were down in Dallas. Some that's... pretty cool moments down there in particular, the champion. So do you just kind of want to talk us through your time down there? There was still a great field as well. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it was it was a similar field to Delray, right? It was a lot of yeah. Americans, but like we said, they're super strong these days. And a lot of them were from college tennis, which is, I, I mean, it was like half the draw felt like it was former college tennis players. And you had like Alex Rybakov, who went to TCU, he, he made it into his first ATP main draw. He went through qualifying. So like, that was really cool to see Emilio Gomez. This was a story I just wanted to yes. tell because he played for USC and you know, he's 31 and he basically, he, he told us he almost quit tennis back in 2018 because he was playing on the futures tour, which is an absolute grind. Like guys are living out of their cars playing futures tournaments because oh. like, even if you win the tournament, a lot of times you, you get like maybe two to three grand or something, but you know, by the time you pay for travel and hotels and like, if you have a coach, which, you know, most of them cannot afford coaches. Um, yeah. It's, it's just a total grind. So he, he okay. lost like four matches in a row in futures level tournaments, which like, if you're losing at that level, first round four times in a row, that's Yeah understandable why yeah yeah understandable why he thought about maybe quitting uh pro tennis and maybe getting a desk job but he went back to he's from ecuador and he played two tournaments in ecuador and he won both of them back to back and he kind of said that just gave him like a new lease on tennis you know like he it just gave him a second chance and you know so he's been sort of grinding away and and um Dallas, he like he made the main draw and he uh I'm trying to remember he won 
either one match or two matches ended up losing to Fritz, I believe, but it was, it was just like, yeah, like I said earlier, when you go to these two fifties, you just see all these players that like, it's the, it's their first experience doing something, you know? And so, yeah, yeah. main draw he beat. Okay. So he beat Diallo, the Canadian guy who also played college tennis. Yeah. Uh, at, we saw him last yeah. year at the NCAAs. Yeah, Kentucky. So he yep. so he played for them and he is now pro. He just turned pro this year. Super tall. He like works with Felix's old coach and like Felix is his, you know, idol growing up. And so Aww. um yeah, I, I mean he's super tall and he's got a big serve. He's so so tall. <laughs> yeah, I think uh once he has a, a, a few, maybe a season or two under his belt, like we'll start to see some stuff from him. Uh, but then Emilio's biggest win, uh, he beat Kechmanovic, who was seated number four in the tournament. And he beat him in three sets. He actually lost the first set 6-2 and came back, won the second in a tiebreaker, and then won 6-4. So it was just like, you know, he he made a quarterfinal of an ATP tour tournament for the first time. And super inspiring just to to hear from him. You know, as he like said, his parents, we were even telling him, like, you should probably maybe think about something. And his dad was a pro tennis player, like a really successful one. Oh, so um that's so yeah. cool he said that like he was talking to his dad before he beat Kashmanovich and, you know, he's like, you just got to go for your shots. Like you got to be brave and all this stuff. And yeah, you could just like tell how emotional it was when he, when he won and talking to us afterwards. So that was really cool to see. Um, that's awesome. That's what but, you, like uh, you said, that's what you go to those smaller tournaments for to see stories like that. Yeah. hundred percent. And uh, we had another one, which was became a little more high profile, uh, which is Wooey Bing won the tournament. And Wu was, you know, he was the first Chinese man to to basically every round. It was like, okay, now you're the first Chinese male to do this in the open era. Now you're the first to do that. You know, it's like every round he's like making history. And uh, he kind of joked about that. But obviously winning the tournament, that's a huge deal. And uh, he was the first Chinese man to win an HV tour event in the open era. And he had a hell of a run to do it. I mean, he beat like Chapo, he beat Manorino, he came back to beat Fritz, and then he came back to beat Isner in the, in the final. Yeah. Did you Can did you, you watch it? No, but I just was looking at the scores. Do you mm. want to kind of give us like the lowdown of that crazy final that you witnessed? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, per usual for John, a lot of tie breaks. <laughs> you know, it was, it was three tie break sets. Uh, of course. <laughs> like it was, I thought for sure, you know, I, I said on our, we, we all talked on crowd live before the match kind of making our predictions for who would win each tournament. And I thought Isner would win. I thought it would be close because we was playing amazing, but like Isner has more experience. And I just kind of felt like, oh, the first time you play Isner, like you, you watch the serve on TV or whatever you, you, you know, you know how good it is, but like, until you're actually on the other side of the net and like, it comes at such a different angle. Cause he's so tall. Like, I just thought, okay, maybe the first time you play Isner, it might be too much. And Isner's, you know, he lives in Dallas. He lives five minutes down the road, super comfortable there. A lot of support for him. So I just kind of thought, okay, it'll be close but we will, or uh, Isner will probably get the W on that one. But like the whole week, it was like this. And especially in this match, Wu's just like totally unflappable. He just, in the biggest moments, he's not afraid to just swing out and go for it. And he doesn't play conservatively. He just like, he says like, I play every point the same. I don't care what the score is. Like, I just, this is, this is how I play. And um, yeah, he just like had answers every time you know and um 
Isner had four match points. You know, the third set went to like 14-12 in the tie break, I think. Yeah. Um, Isner had four match points. There there was one that he, you know, came in. I don't think any of the match points were, I'm trying to remember if any were on Isner's serve, but he, he did come in. He had a volley that, you know, he probably makes nine times out of 10 to, to win the tournament. And it oh. kind of caught him at a, a weird angle. You know, he's so tall that he has to like really bend down to be below the ball, which is what you want to do when you're, when you're volleying. And it kind of caught him high in the chest. And so it was sort of awkward and he tried to angle the ball down, but you know, it, he was too close to the net to do that. And he, uh, yeah, he, Put it in the net when, you know, uh, he would have like maybe come under the volley and just angled it off like he, he would have won. I don't think we would have been able to get to it. So, yeah, I I don't know. He just <laughs> the guy had all the answers and I was watching him play. His first round was against Michael Moe and he yeah. He, yeah, he won that one in three sets. And Moe, you know, just beats Verve at the Australian Open. So he's playing good tennis and yeah. I, I, I'd never seen Wu play in person. But I, I took a few videos and I actually made like an Instagram reel early in the week because I was like, Jesus, this guy like just <laughs> hits the shit out of like every ground stroke. Like it was, it was super, yeah. super fun to watch. And uh, so, yeah, like after that, I was like, man, this guy could maybe, maybe make a run here. And actually, we, you know, we streamed the Sloan Stevens Madison Keys EXO that was at the beginning of the yeah. tournament in our app and, and Mike Cation, who was on this podcast in the last episode, who is, you know, the premier commentator for the ATP challenger tour. So he's watched Wooey Bing play, you know, over the years. And he literally picked Wu to win the Dallas open on the pot or on the uh, live stream commentary. So, you know, he was calling it with Bjorn Fertangelo, who's a pro player. And, you know, he was kind of like, oh yeah, like, you know, Wu could make a run, but he didn't actually like believe that, oh no, that's the guy that's going to win the tournament. But having just watched Wu play the previous week, you know, Mike, like the guy made the final of the Cleveland challenger and lost. <laughs> it's kind of funny that he lost in the challenger final and then won the ATP tour final, but, uh, crazy. but yeah, it's, um, it, it just shows like how high the level of tennis is getting at all stages, whether it's college tennis or the futures or challenger, like these guys can all play and, and they're all starting to believe more and more, I think. And so, yeah, that was cool to see what he did. And, um, we'll see what I think Indian Wells is going to be his next event, unless he plays like Acapulco or something, but yeah. Cause he was supposed to yeah. come to Del Rey, but yeah. obviously f- pretty fatigued after his week in Dallas. So I totally get that, but that's amazing. It was an amazing kind of story to follow. And it was so cool that you got to be there to kind of see, yeah, like you said, history be made with him. So. Yeah, it was, it was really cool. He's a big basketball fan. So he was uh, Kevin Durant's favorite player. He was talking about, we were asking about the NBA all week. And then he was kind of bummed because the Mavericks didn't play a home game for pretty much the whole tournament, but they did have a game the day after the final. So he was like, you know, I'm happy now that I, I was in the tournament long enough to now I can go to a, a home game the next day. And there so we he, go. He went to that and they like had him down in the front row and announced him and they to shouted the him out on TV. Right. Like, I think yeah. I saw that on Twitter. Nice. Yeah. They, they shouted him out. And so that was really cool. He's, he's a super nice guy. He was like, you know, after all the interviews, like everybody in the room, once he left, it was just like, Oh yeah. Like we want, we want to root for him so bad. Like he's just such a sweet guy. And, um, you know, Isner was the hometown. We were talking about it. Like what would be better for the tournament? 
between these two players. Like, yeah, if Isner wins, would it be better for the tournament? And we kind of said probably because he's like the local guy and, you know, I don't know. It's good for renewing sponsors and stuff, but I don't know to, for the sport of tennis overall. Like, I think it's better to, you know, see a moment like that where it's the biggest moment of somebody's career and maybe a launching point for what they could become. You know, if this guy becomes like top 20 in the next year or two, which he totally could. So, um, yeah, it was kind of a heartbreaker to see John lose that way. Cause he's yeah. like, he's almost 38 and he's about to have his fourth kid. Uh, so you gotta think the end is is probably coming soon even though you know like with that serve he could play for quite a while but um yeah it was overall really fun tournament um there was this bagel place across the street that was bomb uh, it's called shugs if you're from dallas uh definitely it was a hangover central kind of place like they they literally sold pedialyte in the fridge like they had all these fridges full of like gatorade pedialyte liquid iv you know like just all this stuff and obviously on sunday morning uh because this tournament was held on smu's campus it was yeah line out the door smart smart marketing right there yeah for sure oh no they they know their audience and uh they were they were basically open for breakfast and then like maybe right through lunch and then they would close for a few hours and then they would open back up like at six and they would be open late night as well. So you could like go order, nice. you know, some uh, whatever greasy stuff late at yeah. night. So. <laughs> which, was, <laughs> which was good because the tournament a lot of times finished late. So it was like right across the street. And yeah, that was definitely, um, if you're in Dallas, check that place out. But, awesome. Love it. Yeah, it was fun. So yeah, hopefully uh, we get to do some more, more three-way tournaments coming up. Yeah, that would yeah. be great. Very cool. Well, John, thank you so much for joining us. Everybody, thanks for following along in the Tennis One Up during all three of these tournaments. Obviously, we've got some busy things ahead with Indian Wells coming up. And then, of course, we're the official app of the Miami Open. So really excited about that. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And we will see you next time. 